Thank you, guys. Appreciate that so much. You know, some folks say it's not Christmas without Old Holy Night. To me, I don't know if it's Easter without then came the morning. Amen. Psalm 22, I'll invite you to open your copy of God's Word with me. Um, you got here in the early service, and I know you thought, man, if I go early, I know what time I'm getting out. Amen. <laughs> uh, but you know, for a year uh, during the pandemic's height, uh, we had... Uh, two services and uh, the Lord blessed through that and you know I was just sharing with a couple of our ladies this morning about how I'm just grateful for what God's brought us through the past couple years amen and his goodness and grace and I want to say this to you as a church family and I want to say this again at 1030 so everybody hears me if I can remember to do it I'm just grateful for how all of you have responded and have not made mountains out of molehills and have not majored on miners and really came together and we just put what was most important in front of us and stayed focused the best we knew how through this thing and God's been good, amen, he's been good. So thank you for your prayers and your support and, and just understanding that we're making decisions every day based on information we got in front of us and that may change, it could change again tomorrow, amen. And uh, But I'll tell you, we're just grateful to be here this morning and see what God is doing. Psalm 22 in your Old Testament, if you found your place in physically able, let's stand together in honor and reverence to the reading of God's word. We're going to read a portion of this psalm. So when you see Psalm 22 and you count 31 verses, you go, oh, Lord, amen. But uh, I'll have to talk real fast, so you listen fast. And... Uh, I believe God has a word for us today. Amen. Psalm 22, the scripture says these words. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from helping me and from the words of my groaning? Oh, my God, I cry in the daytime, but you do not hear it in the night season and am not silent, but you are holy. Enthroned in the praises of Israel, our fathers trusted in you, they trusted and you delivered them. They cried out to you and were delivered. They trusted in you and were not ashamed. But I am a worm and no man, a reproach of men and despised by the people. All those who see me ridicule me. They shoot out the lip. They shake the head saying, he trusted in the Lord. Let him rescue him. Let him deliver him since he delights in him. Pray with me. Father, in Jesus' name, may the Son of God be uh, glorified through the preaching of the gospel today. May lives be changed. May this congregation see very little of me and a whole lot of you. And may you be glorified is my prayer in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. Thank you. Be seated. I'm speaking to you today on the subject of the case for Calvary. The case for Calvary. Psalm 22 is one of the most intriguing chapters of the Old Testament, if not our entire Bible. As you hear the words I read, and we'll talk about some more of this psalm, I just wanted to read a portion to get us started today. Because you have a New Testament, when you read some of those words, they sound rather familiar to you. It's a very intriguing Psalm, it is credited to King David, who wrote 73, almost half of our Psalms. But this one is quite unique. 
On the surface, it appears, if you didn't have a New Testament, you'd say David's in a mess. He's in a time of deep personal crisis, but this chapter goes much deeper than David's crisis. It reveals some distinct prophecy about the cross of Calvary. Psalm 22 is referred to as the crucifixion psalm. It is referred to as the psalm of the cross. This psalm is quoted seven times in the New Testament, and each of those times it is a reference to Jesus Christ. This psalm also contains 33 distinct prophecies which are all fulfilled at Calvary, yet it was written a thousand years before the birth of Jesus Christ. John Phillips said this about this particular psalm. He said, It is a most convincing example of divine inspiration of the scriptures, for only God can prophesy with such unerring accuracy. John Phillips is saying, Only God could breathe into the heart of a man to pen words that would be fulfilled over a thousand years later. That's how we can believe in the inerrancy, in the infallibility, and in the complete inspiration of the Word of God. So walk with me through a portion of this psalm today. We build a case for Calvary a thousand years before, and as we celebrate the effects of what Calvary still is doing to us in our world today. Notice with me, first of all, that David speaks to us about a painful petition. See, the statements made in this psalm, they detail the bitter personal and physical experiences of David, but they go far beyond anything he ever experienced in his life. See, the following words that we read just a moment ago in verses 1 through 6, they paint a vivid picture of the Lord Jesus as he suffered the pain of physical crucifixion. David did not go through crucifixion, and we know our Lord did. So as he talks about this painful petition, I want you to notice a couple of things in that. He talks, first of all, about his personal isolation. In verse 1, the words open, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? These are words we are all familiar with that Christ uttered from the cross. The Bible uses the word in verse 1, the word groaning, where the question is asked, why are you so far from me, David said? Why are you far from helping me and from the words of my groaning? That word groaning is used to also depict the roaring of a lion. It is the noise of thunder or the cry of an animal in distress. David was saying that he was in a time of distress, yet was prophesying of the greatest distress the world has ever known when our Lord died on Calvary's cross. But why did our Lord feel abandoned on the cross? Well, according to 2 Corinthians 5.21, he, God, speaking of God, made him, Jesus, to be sin for us who knew no sin, that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Why did he feel so abandoned? It wasn't that Jesus became a sinner, but he took upon himself the sin of all mankind. He took upon himself the debt, the burden, the weight of guilt and shame that you and I placed upon him. 
I'll never forget when I first watched The Passion of the Christ, what, almost 20 years ago now, and they said that as they were filming this movie that Mel Gibson being the director, when they filmed the scene where he actually, the nails were placed in the palms of our Lord, that Mel Gibson stepped up and said, I need to hold, that was his hand in the movie because he said, I'm responsible for that nail. Can I say to you today, ladies and gentlemen, you and I are responsible for that. But thanks be to God that he who knew no sin became sin for us. Not a sinner, but took upon himself our sin that you and I might become the righteousness of God. Here's what John Phillips said too. He said, Christ was tasting death for every man. He was experiencing what every lost soul will experience in hell for all eternity. Oh, ladies and gentlemen, hear me today. He lived in painful, personal isolation. But he also tells us something else in this petition. He tells us about and gives us a powerful illustration. David refers to those who have cried out to the Lord and experienced deliverance. He's saying, hey, through the ages, God, you've been faithful. Can you say that today? Throughout time, when people have called upon you to deliver them, uh, Lord, you showed up. Think just about times in your journey with Jesus where you called on the name of God and just it seemed in the nick of time, standing somewhere in the shadows was Jesus and he stepped to the forefront and brought deliverance to your life. Think about those times. But then he uses this word that we read a lot in Scripture and we know that this word tells us that something's about to change. He says, you've done all this, but. He says this, he says, but I am a worm. Well, when you just read that on the surface, you say, well, that's really no big deal. He just sees himself as small or nothing before God. But, boy, as I begin to read about this worm, I just got real fired up. And I was telling you, if you showed up on Easter just trying to check a box and get through the day and say, I'm not going to be blessed, I don't care what the preacher has to say, you're about to be blessed whether you planned on it or not. When he uses the word womb, Bama fans, y'all perk up too because you're going to hear a word you really like. He's referring to a worm called the crimson crocus. Hey, wait a minute, wait a minute. There's a bigger meaning than the Iron Bowl or a national championship here. Okay, listen. The Crimson Crocus, and here's what they did with those worms. Those worms was where they got the scarlet that was used to color the robes of kings. I told you, you're gonna be, I'm telling you, hold on to your bootstraps, brother. Listen, here's what had to happen. The only way they could extract the dye from the worms so that they could color the robes of the kings was to crush the worm. Hey, hey, church, listen to me today. On the cross, Jesus Christ, the Lamb of God, took upon himself the weight, the crushing weight of sin, the crushing weight of the wrath of God. And you know what happened? He gave a sacrifice of his royal crimson blood. 
His royal crimson blood, here's what it did. It made it possible for sinners like you and I to experience the forgiveness of sin and clothed us in the robes of righteousness and glory. Thanks be to God for his sacrifice on the cross. Where would we be without that crimson blood? Amen. Oh, I was reading just yesterday. I had a friend shared something with me, just fired me up. Y'all know it takes a lot to get me fired up. This morning, sunrise service, I see somebody look over at Angie and says, see, always like this. This early in the morning, and she says, oh, yes. She's gotten used to it. A friend of mine shared something with me that really blessed me. He shared with me a story, and it was a video of a shepherd boy who raised sheep. And he noticed that the mama sheep had given birth to some baby sheep. She noticed that one of them she paid close attention to was sickly and he died. But the other sheep that she'd given birth to, she shunned. And that sheep began to wither and began to go away because he was not getting nourished. And the shepherd said, what do we do? He said, I don't know but one thing to do. He said, when that other sheep dies and we have to sacrifice it, let's remove its coat and its skin. Let's take some of its blood and let's wrap it around this one that she's shunning. So they took the, the coat the skin off the sheep that died, his sibling, and, and took it and wrapped it around this sheep that the mama was shunning and, and put its blood on its forehead and around its neck. And you know what started happening? The mama started nurturing that baby again. Why? Because it had the smell and the covering of her child that she lost. Hey, ladies and gentlemen, that was me and you. We were the one being shunned because of our sin. We were the one with no hope. But because of the clothing of the blood and the garments and the robes of righteousness of Jesus Christ, we are now accepted in the beloved. We are part of the family and we are glory bound. Amen. God is good. God is good. Oh, there's a painful petition in Psalm 22, but I got to hurry. There's also, he talks to us about some terrible treatment. You read that in verses 7 and following. The psalmist continues to detail the treatment of Christ on the cross. Walk through it with me quickly. Notice verse 7 and following. He was disdained. Notice some of those statements, how he, they shoot out the lip. It's a vernacular 21st century. They was talking trash. Amen? And that word means an expression of derision and contempt. They had contempt for Jesus. It was comparable to that what we might refer to as sticking out the tongue. Remember when you were little on the playground over at school and it wasn't hard to offend the little girls pulled their ponytail or get them dirty or something? And they'd turn around and just stick their tongue out at you. Did that just, that is just a bad, that's bad, wasn't it? Because what are you going to say? I mean, knee back? I mean, you just, no. But that's what they were doing. They were sticking out their tongues and shooting out the lips and talking trash and showing contempt. And it says they shake their head. You know what this refers to? This refers to the scorn and contempt that was handed out to Jesus by those who were just passing by. 
You know, sometimes in this world there's folks that ain't even in the scene, but they walk by and they see us walking with God. They see us being faithful to God. They see you keep showing up for church. They see you keep showing up for Sunday school. They see you keep sharing your faith. They see you keep serving beyond the walls, and they just walk by and shake their head. They don't know why. I'll tell you why. It's because of what Jesus did at Calvary. Verse 8 responds and represents to the mockery of the chief priests and scribes as they disdained our Lord. Verse 11 talks about how he was disrespected. He wasn't just disdained, he was disrespected. There's some neat word pictures there when he talks about the bulls of Bashan. You see that? Say, wait, is that somewhere up near Borden Springs or Oak Level? No, 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 no look here. Here's what you need to know about Bashan. Bashan was a fertile farming area. It was very famous for its pasture lands. It was a huge farming area. All the way from, if you know anything about the maps of the Middle East, from Mount Hermon to Jabbok, I mean, it was a long ways. And here's what would happen with those bulls as they grazed in those pasture lands. They would eventually notice an object or an animal that had made its way into the land that wasn't supposed to be there. So they would circle up the original what you guys from football remember, bull in the ring, right? And they would begin to circle that object or circle that other uh, animal or other whatever came through there. And here's what they would do. They'd just go charge at it, headbutt it, stick it with their horns and inflict pain upon that particular object or person. That's what they were doing to our Lord. Just as much as those bulls inflicted pain on those other animals that's what those people were doing to our Lord see the enemies of the Lord stood around him they were ready to jab and inflict pain any way they could he wasn't just disrespected he was also destitute you read it in verses 14 and following you read how the Bible says these things here's some prophetic pictures of the cross you don't need to miss these he says my tongue clings to my jaws which is a description of intense thirst remember he said from the cross one of the seven sayings from the cross was I thirst what they give him to drink vinegar and gall that doesn't really quench your thirst I get me a shot of that apple cider vinegar before bed every night and y'all know what it doesn't make me unthirsty I gotta drink something to clear that up amen Somebody says, you got to drink a whole lot of something to clear that up. Amen. No, my tongue clings to my jaws. Then he says this, they pierce my feet and my hands, which is the cruel details of crucifixion. He says, my bones are out of joint, which details the intense physical stress that his body was under. But I like where he says, I count all my bones. That's another prophetic word. John 19, 30 tells us and reminds us from Numbers chapter 9 verse 12 that not one single bone of the sacrificial lamb would be broken. <laughs> oh, I think about when they were hanging on the cross and time was getting it and they needed them to hurry up and die. They came around to those two thieves on the cross and they broke their legs because they weren't dying fast enough and they came to Jesus and he was already dead. So as a parting shot, they stuck the sword, said, let's make sure, and out of his side flowed blood and water. Oh, thanks be to God for this precious, precious lamb. He was also disregarded. You see that in verse 18 because verse 17 ends with the words describing the disregard the people had for Jesus when he said, they stare at me. But verse 18 is fulfilled by the Roman soldiers 
who gambled for his clothing. His suffering meant absolutely nothing to them. Some terrible treatment. But I'd be remiss if I didn't talk to you about what goes on later in the chapter. There's also some resounding results. Look at verse 22. I will declare your name to my brethren. In the midst of the assembly, I will praise you. There's three things you need to know right here today of this, these resounding results. And the first was is that there was a resurrection. First words of verse 22 says right here, says, I will declare your name to my brethren. Wait a minute. To go through what he just talked about and pictured for us in the first part of this chapter, to get to that point, something had to happen. There was a resurrection had to take place. Ladies and gentlemen, I want to tell you, even though people try to scoff at it, people try to disregard it, people try to discount it, I want you to know the resurrection of Jesus Christ is just as true today as it was 2,000 years ago. It will be true forever. It is not just a historical event. It is the day that changed the world forever. Oh, he said that. Here's the way John Phillips put it. He said the psalmist was singing a song here in Psalm 22 and he said the song suddenly transposed to another key. <laughs> the music lifted an octave higher and the whole tenor of the words changed. He said there is a sudden silence as death intervenes and the psalm begins again on resurrection ground. The cross gives way to the crown and the, and the tree gives way to the throne. We sang about it this morning there on the top of the hill. Up from the grave he arose with a mighty triumph over the foe. He arose a victor from the dark domain and he lives forever with his saints to reign. He arose, he arose, hallelujah, Christ arose. Thank God for the result of the resurrection. But then there's something else he talks about. There's not just a resurrection, there was a congregation. <laughs> You see that in verse 25? My praise shall be of you in the great assembly. You know what the church is? We know it's not bricks and mortar, but the church of the Lord Jesus is one great big old eternal congregation. Isn't that good to know? As a part of the church of the Lord Jesus, we have a special relationship with him and not only a special relationship with him, we have a special place with him in eternity. He's gone to prepare that place. We are his purchase and prized possession and at his coming church, you need to know this, he will place his church on display in glory and he will fulfill every vow that he has made to his church. And then finally, there's a celebration. Look at verse 26. He says, the poor shall eat of it and be satisfied. Those who seek the Lord will praise the Lord. Let your heart live forever. All the ends of the earth shall remember and turn to the Lord. And all the families of the nation shall worship before you. For the kingdom is the Lord's and he rules over the nations. I don't know about you, I'm grateful for the resurrection. The resurrection allowed me to be a part of the congregation, amen, the family. And because of the resurrection and because I'm part of the congregation, one day I'll take part in the celebration. But I figure I might as well just practice a little bit on this side. I think most Baptists are holding out. And they think when they get to glory, they're gonna show out, but I'm afraid they're gonna clam up, amen. But anyhow, 
I'm just going to enjoy a little bit of celebration on this side so I can get really ready for the celebration on the other side. But notice what we see about this celebration. According to Scripture, at this celebration, the poor will be satisfied. The seeker will shout. Hearts will be convicted of sin and turn to him for salvation. I really believe there's going to be a great getting up morning and a great celebration. Well, I want to leave you with this today. I was watching a little clip on Friday. A preacher that you know well, just a little short clip, a guy named Alistair Beck. You've probably heard of him. Very well-known man of God for many years. And he talked about, he used his sanctified imagination a little bit and talked about what it might look like when we get to glory and what we're going to say or do when we get there. And he started out by saying this, said, if the Lord was to say to you, why should I allow you into heaven? What did you do? Or what's your merit? Are you here? He said, if you use the word I in anything, he said, you've just, you're, you're out. He said, it can't be about you. It's got to be about him. That's a good word. But he used this illustration. He said, think about the thief on the cross. When you think about him on the cross, you know, at first he was his ticked off as the other thing. They were both rebuking Jesus, but something changed. He noticed something different about him. And then he uttered those words we all know too well. He said, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And then Jesus answered and said, today you will be with me in paradise. That's a good word, amen. He says, you ever think about what it was like? You know, he, he dies and, and he, he's there and the angels come up to him and say, hey, why are you here? He says, I don't know. He says, how'd you get here? He said, I'm not sure. Well, what do you mean you don't know? And he just asked him all these questions he didn't know any of the answers to. And finally, he said, well, I'll tell you why I'm here. He said, the man on the middle cross said I could come. Ladies and gentlemen, I want you to hear me today. When I stand before God in judgment, the judgment seat of Christ, where every Christian will stand, you know the only reason we will be able to be in that judgment as the redeemed of God, where our works will be judged, where we'll be prepared to enter into the place of eternal glory forever. Do you know the only reason we're going to be able to be there is because the man on the middle cross said we could come. Amen. Amen. The man on the middle cross said, you are welcome here. But listen to me. The man on the middle cross bids you come, but you must come his way. You know, Alistair Begg said, I can't understand this guy. One minute he's cussing Jesus, the next minute he's in eternity with him forever in paradise. But he said, this is how God changes people. Something changed. Can I tell you, something has to change in and of you. You have to come by the way of the cross, the middle man. He is the original middle man, amen. You must come by his way. You cannot come your own way. You cannot make up a new way. He has made the only way. And it's through the cross of Calvary. Lee Strobel set out years ago, you've heard of him. He was an atheist. He was a news reporter, and he was going to set out to disprove the resurrection. And through his research, you know what happened? He met the man on the middle cross. 
He wrote one of the most popular books ever called The Case for Christ. You've probably heard of it. Case for Easter and the Case for This. Well, I want to say to you today, I pray we've made a real case for Calvary. And if you've not come by the way of the cross, may you do like the man who was the thief and say, hey, and the middle man said, I could come. Pray with me. Father, in Jesus' name, I just want to thank you for your word today. And I want to thank you for what it means to my heart. And I want to thank you for changing my life. And I want to thank you for giving me new life. I want to thank you for taking my guilt, my sin, and my shame to Calvary's cross. And I want to thank you for making the way. I want to thank you for what you endured. I want to thank you that you got up from the dead. And I want to thank you, Father, that very soon we're going to celebrate with you forever. But until then, Oh, God, may we be faithful in what you've entrusted to us. May we walk with you more nearly, see you more clearly, and love you more dearly. God, right now at this time of invitation, God, I believe there's someone in this room today that's not come by the way of the cross. They've not come your way. They've tried to make maybe their own way or maybe not even considered much about eternity. But today, Father, the sweet spirit of living God has spoken to them and is calling them to salvation. Father, I pray at this invitation they'd have the courage and God, that they'd just have the faith and trust in you to step in that nearest aisle. Give us the opportunity to introduce them to you. God, that they could leave here a born-again child of God. And Father, I pray for your church, your children. God, that we'd not be discouraged or dismayed in this sinful and adulterous generation. Chaos all around us. But Father, we'd realize that everything is under your sovereign control. And all you need us to do is trust you. And I pray we'd be found doing just that. And I pray it in Jesus' name. Now, here's about eyes are closed. Here's the invitation today never trusted Christ you don't know that man on the middle cross you've not come his way and received his permission and saving grace spend eternity with him in glory I invite you today in the very first word of the very first verse of this song step into that nearest aisle come forward give us an opportunity to talk to you about Jesus help you get a hold of heaven and leave here a born again child of God church I want to say today here on this Easter Sunday it'd be a good time for you maybe there's something you need to just pour your heart out to God maybe you've got a prayer partner accountability partner somebody that you're praying with and y'all pray together but I tell you one thing we need to pray for more than anything is for God to use us in these last days to be a light like we've never been before and I plead with you church to honor God today if you're here today and you're a child of God you're praying about place of service you believe God to have you be a part of this local fellowship we welcome you to honor God with your decision today we just pray God would use you for his ultimate glory Father we commit this invitation to you and trust it all to you and pray God that all results will be for your glory we pray and give you praise in advance for how you're speaking to hearts right now
pray it all in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. Let's stand our feet all across the house. Marty's going to lead us. As God speaks to your heart, you step in that nearest aisle and just come to Jesus. When you're ready, Marty.
God give us a part of something hell itself can't stop. That's the church of the Lord Jesus. Amen? And I'm grateful for how God has not only brought us safe thus far, he's continued to use us to touch people in ways we probably don't even fully comprehend. But do remember those things. If you have any questions on the way out, we'll be glad to help you. But if we give today, let's give from our hearts to the glory of God. Let's trust him with everything, and let's trust him to do greater than we ever thought possible. Amen? Let's join our hearts together and ask God's blessings on our gift.
great day. Uh, let's see, Wednesday we're back on, you know, 6 o'clock for children, students, and adults. Uh, Wednesday night, love you to be in worship this week on Wednesday night. And don't forget.